Welcome to Skid Mark Show, the only award-winning podcast on the internet about cars and rock stars, because we thought of it first. Join our hosts Jeff Allen and Ethan D as they crisscross the country trying to get into car events and concerts free by promising to interview people for the show, and somehow they haven't been caught yet. Skid Mark Show goes into the pits and backstage at the concert, at least until they're told they aren't supposed to be there and get kicked out. So come live vicariously through us as we do the really cool stuff most people wish they could do, and record it for your enjoyment. Powered by Pinsoil. Hey, what's up? This is Neil Sanderson from Three Days Grace, and you are listening to Skid March Show. Hi, this is Sung Kang, and you're listening to the Skid March Show. Hey, what's up? This is Michael Starfield Panther. You're listening to the Skid March Show. Hey, it's Ethan D, and welcome to another action-packed episode of Skid March Show. This is the second of our SEMA 2019 highlight episodes where we bring you all the cars and stars that were on the Shell Pioneering Performance live stage with us in Las Vegas. In this episode, we have famous cars, famous Famous drivers and famous drivers of famous cars that play famous people in the movies, and I'll explain that last part in a bit. But first, we get started with a man who has bought and sold more cars than most of us will ever drive in a lifetime, Drew Alcazar from Russo and Steel Auctions, plus the man who helped build one of the most iconic race cars ever, the Shelby Daytona, Peter Brock joins us, and Katie Osborne from Power Nation TV on the History Channel and NBC Sports jumps on stage with us too. As we are talking with all kinds of celebrities and guests that we've had on the stage today, we're about to bring up our next celebrity. Yeah. Drew Alcazar from Russo and Steel is going to join us here on stage. I guess we're going to talk about auctions. How are you, sir? Hey, hey, hey. Ethan, Jeff, good to see you guys. Good to yep. see you, Hot Still, uh, January is coming around the corner. Go ahead, have a seat. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. How's the auction business? You, you look like it's going really well for you. You're looking sharp. I got to tell you, we're, we're going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary for Russo and Steel in Scottsdale coming up here in January. Wow. So hitting quite a milestone. We're awfully excited to have everybody come out and join us once again for the auction. Scottsdale has kind of become the mecca for auctions in general, and it seems to be a place that, you know, you, every year it's, it's like one of those bucket lists for a lot of yep. people to show up there at the auction and, you know, go to the different auction houses. And whether you're, whether you're just a car enthusiast, you like to, to watch all the action, or if you're one of those serious buyers that gets in there with a bitter badge like I do from time to time and go a little crazy with raising my hand. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. to walk around and we'll, not we'll touch. We'll let you. You know, we, we, we say it's really easy. All I got to do is this. That's yep. right. Yeah, and then sign afterwards. Sign, sign, sign. Yeah, uh, But Scottsdale in January is a wonderful place to be. You know, the weather turned here a couple of weeks ago. We're into the fall section now, and uh, all the reasons that we live in Scottsdale are, are coming home to roost. So Scottsdale, January is a, a wonderful time to be there. And, of course, uh, Russo and Steele's back to, uh, into Scottsdale now from our uh, previous location out at uh, – the uh, Salt River Fields. We're now actually in Scottsdale, on Scottsdale Road and the 101 Freeway. So a great new location, tremendous visibility. We're going to have five football fields of tents. That we're wow. Putting up in wow. The so how many cars are you, you anticipating? Eight, 800 cars that we'll sell in cars. four days. Really? Have you got a bunch of consignments already ready to go? We got some great consignments. Check out RussoandSteel.com. We got some good stuff already starting to happen. Just came in the other day. You guys will get a charge out of this. We got a 1963, an original Myers Manx dune buggy. Oh, wow. Still in the original purple metal flake gel coat. No way. It's probably worth about 50, 60 grand, but I got to tell you, I'm excited about it because it was just so damn cool. Those dune buggies are awesome. You know, I actually, I had a Myers Manx. Did you? Yeah, it was a weird story, but I... These folks had it on, on, uh, I forget what website I found it on, and I was like, man, that's kind of cool. Who did this? And then come to find out that George Barris, the late yeah. George Barris, had built it. 
And he had built it for, at the time, it was the uh, CFO of Hot Wheels. So she commissioned it, and it was in the original purple metallic. And so here I had what became a Hot Wheel, Yeah. right? And I had that vehicle, and, and, and I sold it a couple years later, and I always kind of regretted it, because then after that, George passed, and I was like, man, that, you know, how many Myers-Manx did George Sparris actually touch? And this one he actually built, so yeah. it was pretty cool. That's one of those cars that uh, they always say, don't ever sell what you can't get back. That's right. And, but the whole thing is, is once you keep accumulating all of those, you know, Drew, when, you, when, you, when you've when you gone from the one or two car garage to the six to the seven to the 20, I'm up to 62 cars now. And there's, a, there's a, got to be a breaking point somewhere, you know? Yeah, you're going to run out of room or have to buy more. I know, right? Yeah, and exactly. The, and, and, and sometimes it's, it's really just kind of a room issue. I was just speaking to the folks at Benpack about their triple lift system so I could put a third third level of cars up there because I figure if you have four parking spots times three, that's actually 12, and that would work out a lot well, better. Well, it sounds like you're going to have a lot of extra room to come to Russo and Steel in January and buy some cars no for No doubt, there you go. no <laughs> doubt. So not only do you guys do uh, Scottsdale, though, you also have some other locations throughout the year. Well, we added Amelia Island uh, to our roster here. Uh, uh, we're going back again this year, of course, with Bill Warner and his uh, spectacular Concours there at Amelia Island. If you've never done that, uh, you know, Pebble Beach is great, but it, it's, it's getting to be kind of where you come away with bruised elbows. There's so many folks there. And, and, and Amelia Island is a great sort of alternative to that, that it's just still spectacular cars, a little more relaxed atmosphere. So we're excited to be in Florida. And then, of course, uh, every, every uh, Monterey, when it comes around in August, uh, we're there. So we'll be celebrating our 20th year anniversary in Monterey this coming summer also. Now, do you see uh, different trends at each auction? Because, like, the Scottsdale audience versus the Monterey audience versus the Millie Islands audience? Well, you know, they're, they're skewed a little bit different. I think, uh, you know, if you take Monterey, for example, uh, during uh, Pebble Beach Concours Week uh, with Laguna Seca being right there and the vintage racing being so much a part of it, uh, of course, I, I, I'm like a kid in a candy store getting high on my own supply because I'm the only auctioneer that actually races his car in the morning at the track and I'm on my auction block at night. So Monterey is always skewed a little bit to some of the kind of a vintage race cars, maybe a little bit more of the European sort of flair. Scottsdale typically uh, is a little bit more skewed toward the uh, more domestic Americana type of thing, muscle cars, you know, 50s, 60s Chevys, that type of thing. But, but truthfully, I think the market has become so diversified now that, you know, whether you're doing a Ferrari 330 GTC or a Shelby GT350 or Myers Manx dune buggy, we try and uh, bring a little something for everybody to every auction that we do. Yep. That's cool. One of the biggest uh, things that I like about the you know going to an auction is the availability to see so many different types of automo- oh, yeah. automobiles. And you know it, I've always kind of touted myself as the self-proclaimed Bruce Lee of the car business because there's not there's not one car that I love. I love them all for what they do, and I can appreciate those and and. And people say, no, there's no way. I mean, how can you love a Yugo? Well, if you find a Yugo with 8,000 miles on it, it's all in original condition, you can appreciate that car with a for a sunroof. Yeah, for what it go. is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I do that. And when you, when you see my collection, it just doesn't stick to just muscle cars. It doesn't just stick to Ferraris. It covers the whole gamut. Yeah. And I think really one of the biggest segments that's coming up lately is all the JDM cars. And that's really yep. cool to see that market take hold. And you can see it right here at SEMA. Some of these incredible builds that are up here, you're seeing a lot of the Nissans and the early Hondas and Toyotas. It's pretty incredible. I tell you, you're talking about your collection. And again, you know, I I got a 32,000 square foot headquarters in Scottsdale. It's already busting at the seams. But of course, I got carried away 
and found an original 1986 Toyota Celica Supra. Ooh. Nice. And you're always finding those cars that are some funky color with like a red velour interior and a slush bucket in it, mm -hmm. right? I'll be darned if this guy didn't have it pristine condition, black with a gray interior and a five-speed. I'm like, hey, wow. all me, all mine. That's and awesome. You'd have, if you'd have told me I was going to pay 25 grand for a Toyota, I'd have had you slap me, but I did it anyway. <laughs> it's so cool. I'm having so much fun with my Celica Supra. They're back, and they're back with yeah, the vintage. Look around. It's something else. Oops. That is cool, man. I really appreciate you coming on the stage with us, Drew. It's always a pleasure to talk about Russo and Steel, the auction business. I think it's in my blood. I mean, I grew up in the auction business. My, well, I'm you know third generation car guy. My grandfather drug me all around uh, in a two car hauler back in the day. You know the ramp trucks, the old Chevys, and uh, you know one of the things is he passed away before I was able to drive. But that was one of my goals is I was going to take over driving that, and we were going to go to the different auctions throughout the countryside. And uh, it's so cool to keep that dream alive and to give all these people that opportunity to do that because even when you go to Pebble Beach. And you're out there at Mar Monterey for Car Week. It's kind of cool to step away from that for a minute, slip into an auction, see what the market's doing, see what your car can do. And uh, it's kind of a good gauge on, on what's going on in the marketplace. So, Well, that really third weekend that. in January in Scottsdale is great. There's all the auction companies are there. We're, we're all stronger together than we are apart, of course. It's a great synergy. Everybody's kind of doing their own little thing, their mm. own little way. Uh, we're doing our traditional auction in the round, as you know, so yeah, I'll be uh, yeah, the ringleader. It's gladiator style. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> with, with, uh, yes, one of your auctioneers okay. is, is a good friend of mine. Um, golly, and now his name's slipping my... My ringman, Marty Hill. Good Marty, Marty Hill, Hill. yes. Oh, yeah. I, you know, it's funny, though. I tell him all the time, man, you know, Larry the Cable Guy really just plays Marty Hill, you know, in all the shows. I mean, if you ever sat down and talked to Marty Hill for too long, it's Larry the Cable Guy. So I think, you know, the guy oh, he's, he's so genuine royalties. He's so genuine. And he'll do that for 12 hours straight. Oh, he will. From the that's first true. car to the last car. And that's the great thing about the team at Russo and Steel. Yeah. And I, I've often thought about that over the 20 years that we've been doing this because that auction and the round thing, it's not that unique a concept. I just did it because I wanted the cars to be the center stage, ground level with all of the elevated seating. Like you say, it's kind of gladiator, coliseum-type sport. Mm. Um, but truthfully, it's, it's the characters that we have. It's the auctioneers, the staff, guys like Marty, my callers, that, that really makes it unique. And I think that's something that we really uh, always wanted to maintain. We really have that close association with the cars. So every single car, I remember a guy brought me a, a, an AMC Pacer one year, and he says, my God, I can't believe it. You actually said something cool about the AMC Pacer. And I said, of course, because it had the Levi edition interior in it. When was the last oh. time you saw a denim and Levi interior in an AMC? Hey, you, know, you probably thing. could have sold that to Jay Leno. He's a yeah. big denim fan, that's yeah. for sure. Was there ever a, a car that got away, one where you got outbid even at your own auction? You're like, I wanted that one, and uh, uh, you just didn't have it. There's always something. That's the hardest part, of course. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm not going to bid against my bidders, but I'm sitting there watching all of them swim by, and that's the tough part. But I had a client one time call me and says, I'm ready to sell my competition Cobra. I says, okay, uh, what, are you, what are you looking for on it? What do you think is going to make you happy? He says, I'm looking for about 750000 I said, wow, 750. I'm already an owner. I yeah. says, but I tell you what, I don't want you to sell the car short to me, although I'd love to own your Cobra. As you guys know, I'm kind of a Shelby guy. But uh, I said, bring it to the auction, and let's go ahead and put it through the auction. If it doesn't sell, I'll pay you the 750. He brings the car to the auction. 
We sell it for $2.13 million. Wow. wow. So if wow. there was ever one that got away, that might have been it. There you go, yeah. All right. Hey, thank you so much, Drew, for joining us on the stage. You guys can check out all the auction in January at Russo and Steel. Thank we'll you so much. We'll look forward to seeing you on Scottsdale. Thanks right, so much, guys. Drew, thank, thank you, you so much. Here. Got another guest ready to join us on stage. Legendary in the business. How are you? Mr. Very le legendary in the business. Yeah. The one and only Mr. Peter Brock's about to come on up stage and join us. Hey, we get a warm welcome for Mr. Peter Brock, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh, yeah. How you doing, Peter? Hey, good. Good, good, good to you see you. Oh, Go ahead and have a seat, Peter. Peter. Uh, you know, a few years ago, it was such a great honor to come out here with the original Cobra. Right, we Daytona. had uh, number 2287. That was the first Daytona Cobra we built. And that uh, it went to uh, Daytona, set the lap record, and that's pretty much how it got its name. Yeah, so that was pretty cool to have that here in its original condition because yep. it wasn't restored. That's the one car that has not been restored very much. It, uh, surprisingly, uh, what happened is it was being the first car built, uh, it had the most amount of races on it. So at the end of the Le Mans in 1964, they sent it back to the United States to be kind of refurbished and they uh, kind of brought it up to sort of concours condition, and they put it on tour with Ford Motor Company, what they call the uh, Total Performance Tour. They had a NASCAR car and some of the drag racing cars, and of course the Daytona. So here's this beautiful car, and it was all returned to us. At the same time, with show sponsorship, Craig Breedlove was running at uh, Bonneville for the World's Land Speed Record. And up there you had to, you know, uh, reserve a certain amount of dates with the USAC for the date. But if you weren't on the salt, you had to relinquish to the next guy. And the next guy in line was running a Firestone car. Craig was on, running on Goodyear's. So in order to hold the salt, they called Shelby and said, hey, can you send that Daytona Coupe up here? And we'll pretend we're setting records up here and keep the Firestone guys off the salt. So uh, they sent that car up there and it ended up setting 23 international FIA speed records. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible. And just yeah. to think about you guys designing that in the shop. Yep. And, and what was the inspiration for that? I mean, you knew you had to make something pretty slick, and it had to be a coupe at this point. Well, the thing was is that our Daytona Cobra Roadsters that we'd won the uh, United States Road Racing Championship in 1963, we were still kind of a small privateer team. Everybody thinks Shelby was a major deal. It wasn't. We were a very small team and did not have that sort of uh, clout with Ford management back in Dearborn. They were used to working with guys like Holman, Moody, and, you know, the big teams. So we couldn't go to Ford Motor Company and say, would you put up the money for this special car that we want to build? Uh, and also at that time, they had just bought the rights to the Eric Broadley's Mark VI Lola, which was going to be developed into the GT40. So basically, the Daytona was the competitor to the Ford GT40. So, and they started out at the same time. So we're out in California, and we're kind of this little tiny team, and we built the car for $1.98. We did, in 90 days, we built that uh, first Daytona. And, 90 uh, days, wow. 90 days, yeah, from my first drawings up from until the From the drawing to reality. From drawing to reality. And the thing was, it received a lot of uh, uh, resistance within the shop because it was so strange looking with the chopped off tail and the flat roof line and stuff. But I had seen some uh, 
technical drawings that had been done in 1937 and 1939 by the Germans. And they had been studying aerodynamics. And of course, all of their information was pretty much lost during World War II, so nobody paid much attention to it. But I got a copy of their original white paper on it and said, you know, this looks pretty good with this chopped off tail. And there were some comparative numbers on the coefficient of drag. So I transferred those numbers over to the chassis that we had to build because under the rules, you had to build 50 production cars before you could be homologated as a production car. But then you couldn't show up with a completely new body on the car because it wouldn't be the same car anymore. So they had a rule under the FIA which was called evolution of type, which allowed you to change the grill opening or the fender openings for bigger tires or whatever, but you couldn't change the whole body. What happened actually was Ferrari was getting a lot of pressure from Jaguar and Aston Martin. He'd been winning all the races since 1960 after Carroll won uh, Le Mans in 59. So he went to the FIA and when he was homologating his car for 1962, he put down new body and they wouldn't accept it. So at lunchtime he went around and talked to each member on the contest board and said, if you don't vote for my complete new body as an evolution of type, uh, I won't bring my team to your track next year and you'll go broke. So they reversed the rules and under the Appendix J, they changed the rules so you could put a whole new body on the car. And that's why he did the 250 GTO, which was Gran Turismo Omologato. So with that car, uh, that pretty much set the style I went to Carol and said, hey, under this new rule, we can put a whole new body on the Daytona. We've got to leave the chassis completely stock. So I designed that thing, and in 90 days, we built it and went out. And uh, long story short, we won the world championship with it. Now, bringing up, Carol, you know, for us car enthusiasts, you know, next week is a big launch of a movie that's coming out that uh, yes, is going to be the Ford, new movie. Yeah, Ford, right. Ford versus Ferrari. Right. And, uh, you know, Christian Bale's... Portraying Ken Miles. Yes, I is think he, is he's he doing I a good job. I think Ken, he's doing a good Ken Miles. I, as much as I like Matt Damon for the right thing, he's not. He's not Carol Shelby. He's no. He's no Carol he's Shelby. No, but he's, I, he's not I like the Matt long, Damon too. But uh, so, but uh, there's a couple of scenes in there. I've only seen the trailers so far, but this whole thing of Ken Miles punching Shelby out is so far beyond reality that uh, I don't know what we're going to see for the rest of the picture. Well, I hope it's exciting anyway, Peter. But before yeah. we get to anything else with Peter Brock here, ladies and gentlemen, yep. on the show, Pioneer Performance Live Stage, I'm going to bring up our next guest. Katie Osborne. Yes, come on down. One of our You're regulars the next here, contestant. Katie. How are you? Good. How are you? How are you? Oh, thank you. Well, it's No Sock Wednesday because we have Philip Michael Thomas from Miami Vice coming down today. Go ahead and sit down. No, Peter, where are you going? Is Peter leaving? Yeah. I thought we, leaving. No, yeah. Peter, you're supposed to stay out there. Stay hang out with us. We got it. We're going we're gonna to put you. Oh, you can sit closer to her. She don't yeah. mind. Peter, it's Boy, yeah. Yeah. We're here. We're having yeah. this like match together. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Getting cozy over here. It's all good. So, Katie, we were just talking with Peter, all reminiscing about the Carroll Shelby days, yeah. uh, building the Cobra, you know, the Cobra Daytona, and then we were just getting into the Ford versus Ferrari oh. movie. So, are you looking forward to that? I think I am. I've, I actually knew a couple people that worked in the stunt side of that, and the experiences that they were saying, first and foremost, Christian Bale can drive, which was a surprise to me. I don't know if anybody else heard that, but the, he, can get, he can wheel it, which I think is kind of admirable. 
as it relates Can to him. Can you shift and, gears? That's, that's the, the next thing. question. That's, the, that's what I, <laughs> I want to know. I didn't get that far into the conversation, but okay. no, I think the movie itself, I, what I hope about the movie is that they really identify the history and legacy and they don't kind of make it into movie land. They make it into real life land. Well, I think it's going to be pretty good entertainment. The average person is going to like it pretty well. But I've got to say that during the same time, at the same time of release, uh, Adam Carolla is coming out with his new picture called The Carol Shelby Story, and that will be on Netflix. I have seen a lot of the cuts on it. It is probably the most accurate documentary of that wow. whole period that oh, you've ever You said documentary. So, I was worried Adam Carolla was going to play Carol Shelby. I was worried <laughs> there for a moment. I'll tell you, Carol, Adam Carolla would have been an ideal Shelby. I mean, why is that? If, if he's got the same stature and pretty much the same characteristics as Carol. He could have played him really well, I think. Well, you know, the original actor that was going to play Carol Shelby for the movie Ford versus Ferrari was Chris Pine. Really? Yeah. And I was very Didn't excited to see Chris Pine's take on it because, you know, when I first heard Chris Pine was coming on to do the Star Trek, we provided the Corvettes for yep. the first Star Trek with J.J. Abrams. And when I knew Chris Pine was going to play the new Captain Kirk, I was like, well, I want to see how this goes. Totally. You know? And when he came out and he just nailed Captain Kirk. You know, he really? was yeah. William Shatner okay. in the Star Trek. So I was so excited to hear that he was coming on opposite Christian Bale. Yeah. And then for some reason, way late into the production, he backed out of it. And then Matt Damon picked up the reins and took it over. And I was like, I like Matt. You know, I don't I, I, I talked to Carol every year here at SEMA and I went and visited him a couple of times. And I just didn't know if Matt was going to be Carol. Yeah. You know. Well, but, uh, he had the name to make the uh, bring the money in to build the picture, and that's <laughs> yeah. what counts. That's and, all. In that Hollywood counts. land, yeah. It's yeah, but it looks, it, Christian, Christian Bale. I mean, they say he just is ten miles, and I'm like, I can't wait to see this on the big screen. So yeah, I'm very looking forward to that. that. Again, I think just as as it comes from uh, an automotive and motorsport, you know, community, I sure hope it's not like Swim Fan. I was a swimmer, and Swim Fan to me was the worst movie ever because they depicted swimming awfully. I just hope that they really keep uh, keep hold of the tradition of what yes, that really was swim all about. Swim Fan was not that good. Were you a swimmer even, and you I still thought it wasn't that good? No, I, yeah. I had some shaving my legs. But, uh, <laughs> I know, that's Katie, what what's going on in your world? Hi, it's so good to see you guys again. Yeah. Well, it's good to see you. Every time we talk to you, you have something else added. And it's not that you've stopped doing something, you just have more jobs. You should <laughs> add more to it. <laughs> it's just a couple less hours of sleep and a little bit more plane yeah. flights. It's fine. Well, so how um, many jobs are you doing currently? So actually right now, um, working still with Power Nation to finish out the year here, and that's great. And Mecham Auction, of course, and then Motorsport Reporting. Uh, picking up some of the action sports with Red Bull TV. And actually came on board full with Truck Hero this year. Uh, so shooting um, all of their content coming out of SEMA, which, by the way, they have done an excellent job. I didn't realize they had such, they have a lot of booth space here. If you haven't checked it out, it's Upper South Hall. But there's a lot of good truck, truck bed covers, off-road, Jeep stuff over over there. And now you're sitting right smack dab in the middle of the Shell Pioneering live stage <laughs> next to the legendary Peter Brock. I, know. I mean, thank, mm -hmm. thank you for sharing this couch with me. Boy, what an honor, I'll tell you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's a lot of fun here. I mean, SEMA here, it's been it's been busy. I don't know from your guys' perspective over there it seems like I haven't gotten out much, but what do you guys think over here? Has it been okay? We 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 Jam barely packed. get to go off the stage, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we get to you. see everything from here. It's kind of like this, or I go on social media to follow all the things <laughs> you're doing. Yeah, so. well, it's a lot of fun. I think um, what I find interesting about SEMA this year, and I think you mentioned social media. What's cool about what we put out here now at SEMA is the fact that you can understand why. 
the automotive industry really has blossomed with social media. And it really does show what each of these you know, manufacturers and companies can do with their products. I really find there's certain industries that haven't grown with social media. You have other mainstream sport, but the automotive and motorsports industry really have utilized it. Well, I've been coming for this 20 years, and I'll tell you, each year it gets bigger and better <laughs> and more exciting and more interesting people and cars, and, and the technology is just fabulous for the So the 20 years for you, Peter Brock, coming yeah. to SEMA? Yeah. Wow. Katie Osborne, how many years has it been? This is number eight for me. Yeah. Number eight. And yeah. our fifth in a row with us. And a fifth in a, has it been five years with it's you guys? Been five years. years. We've progressed that? too. The stage has grown and changed. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. originally they had us off in a tent over <laughs> here, and they, we yeah. kind of moved up every year to get bigger. Next on our second highlight show is barn find hunter Tom Cotter, who gives you some tips and tricks on finding your own barn finds, and SEMA's own VP of everything awesome, Mike Spagnola. The man that everybody should know if you're here at SEMA, this is Mr. Mike Spagnola. How are, How are you, we doing, buddy? Ethan? Come join me, man. Have a seat, buddy. All right. All right. How are things going this year? It looks uh, bigger and better than ever before. Look just at this crowd. Look, is this just not incredible? I know, right? What an incredible crowd. What an incredible industry. And uh, it's just awesome to be here, as always. Are there uh, people here that you've met uh, that have never been there first time and um, you're welcoming yeah. new people? Yeah, absolutely. We get about, uh, about 500 new companies a year. Every year? Every year. And we turn down 500 new companies a oh, year. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, there's some attrition, of course. Some of these newer guys that's, that come in, they'll, they'll come in for the first time and about half of those come back the second year. Yeah. Um, so we get a little bit of rotation, but uh, we're, we're at maximum space. We're at point. Uh, 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 almost 1.3 million square feet here. Holy cow. We have no more room to grow at this point until we yeah, finish the new the one opens. Yeah, is that going to be crazy? What's the, uh, do you know what the timeline is on that one finishing? So uh, uh, we're going to actually get to tour it next year at this time. Cool. And then uh, it'll open for CES in, in uh, January 2021. And then we'll be in it uh, in November 2021. And I can guarantee you immediately fill up that building, too. We will. That's another 600,000 square feet. Holy cow. Yep. We're going to be pushing 2 million square feet. Yeah, yeah. They're going to do some renovation over here, so we'll have uh, some things changing over here and some uh, work. But uh, they're going to remodel this whole side plus that whole side. And... Uh, it's going to take a few years to get done, but it'll be just amazing once it's done. You know, it's my fifth year here, and I still haven't seen it all. I, it is impossible to yeah, see it all. It really in, is. In, it's just it's so enormous. I can't even get down to South Hall sometimes. I, I uh, just happened this morning to walk down that way. It's the first time I've been there, and I've been here since Friday. <laughs> You've been here probably longer than anybody else, right? So, uh, yeah, some of our team arrives a full uh, two weeks earlier. Wow. So, uh, they're here for three weeks. Now, of course, you were also uh, big time into the, the SEMA Cares, the charity yep. side and all that. Tell us about what's going on with that this year. So uh, uh, we're really excited on the scholarship side this year to be uh, auctioning the V06 at Barrett-Jackson in January. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, you guys have been very involved with that. Uh, Shell Oil, Penn's Oil, great sponsors. And, uh, and it's just so cool to see uh, major companies caring and wanting to give back. And yeah. uh, for our next generation, for our scholarship fund, um, we give about, uh, about $150,000, $200,000 a year away in wow. scholarships uh, each year. Now, uh, Mike, there's something else that hits SEMA that a lot of people are not aware of that probably need to be the yeah, Young Entrepreneurs Network. Yep. And, yes. uh, how's that going? So it's just great. You know, uh, uh, the SEMA board several years ago said uh, really took an interest in the next generation, not only through our scholarship program, but uh, through YEN and some of these other councils. And it really is... Uh, an opportunity now, if, if you think you want to make a career in this industry, which, you know, obviously everybody here is doing, 
um, that there's some sort of gateway. There's, there's, a re, there's a way for you to kind of come up that you can uh, uh, be really uh, mentored by other people within the industry, and Yen is a perfect example of that. Joining us next up here on Skidmark Show, Mr. Barnfine Hunter himself, Tom Cotter. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm good, man. Good, good. Have a seat. Whenever I come here, I feel like I walked onto pages of Hot Rod Magazine when I was 14 years old. I know, right? Isn't it cool? So I, I, I became a Barnfine guy when I was like 14 years old. Yeah. Reading Rod and Custom, and they had a column in there called Vintage Tin. And it was about these guys finding like these old cars, like in California, in the desert. And I'm in New York. I said, I think I could do the same thing. And, and I've been doing it ever since. I bet you could find even more in New York. I mean, you got to think of where the country started, right? Yeah. The problem is cars in New York, if they're outside, they're, they're ruined. You know, if, yep. if, if it's the 1940s or 50s, it's ruined. So I've learned that if you live in New York and you want a car with good bones, you'll drive to New Mexico and find it. Oh, so you got to get something away from the ocean, away from all that salt water? Yeah. It, dry climate. Now, we met this uh, guy in Alaska. We went to Fairbanks last year and met a guy who collected Broncos, and he stripped the paint off one Bronco, the quarter panel. So it was as raw as this. Yeah. Five years ago, and there's no rust on it. Really? It's because it's so dry, it's, it's, it's uh, an Arctic desert. And so snow falls and it evaporates. This metal, five years old, exposed, just like this, no rust. If building a hot rod means you need to start with good bones, start with a car with good bones. Don't think that you can build a piece of garbage right. into a solid car. I mean, you can, but, you know, you got so many alignment problems, the doors won't close right, everything's going to be twisted, and you're going to spend a lot of money. You know, one of the things that uh, took me a while to realize is that you could see something that's a little bit of rust on a car, but if it hasn't eaten through the metal, you can still have a car with good bones even has a little bit of rust here and there yes but usually that little bit of rust you can see is just the tip of the iceberg right. of what you can't see and what you can't see is the inner fender panels are all gone or the rockers or you know i i have this cool car i would like to have brought it here this year it's a 67 ford country squire you know fake wood yep patina rust 428 cubic inch factory four speed manual gearbox buckets wow. and a console I bought it. Then I found out that galaxies have rust problems. I had to take the body off the frame. I had to re-weld the frame. I had to fix all these panels underneath, put new rubber bushings between the body and the chassis. Now it's a, a good car that I thought it was, but yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah. So since we talked to you uh, last year at this time at SEMA, what was the coolest barn find that you had this year since here and there? I mean, they're all great, right? They're all amazing. Are you still finding those treasures out there? There are so many cars. Like, I don't buy them and sell them. I just right. buy them and move on. And that gives everybody else an opportunity to go, they're still out there. I promise you they're still out there. So what's the coolest car I found this year? You know, it's, it's, it's seldom the car. It's more the story. Yeah. Like, I stay away from junkyards because junkyards have no stories. It's just inventory. A guy says, yeah, you can have it for 500 bucks. But if I go to a guy's house and he's got two cars that he's owned since high school that his aunt gave him, there's a story attached. So. Yeah. It's the human interest story, not necessarily the car that I really dig. So, you know, I, I was up in Traverse City, Michigan this spring, and I'm looking at this farmer had an XK140 Jaguar Roadster, like a, a 1952, uh, 55, 54. And I'm looking at it, and he's had it since high school, and just cool car. I said, just before I left, you know any other old cars around? He said, well, the guy across the street's got a Jaguar in his barn, too. I said, what? what? So I drive my Woody across the street. The drone is following me. And I pull in this other guy's yard, and he's got an XK150 coupe. What's the chance of that? Really? That's amazing. So guys with old cars know of other guys with old cars. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little community, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. All right, so favorite find of your career? It's in my garage. It's in your garage. So, so you'll understand this. I found Ferraris. Yeah. I found now three Cobras, mm-hmm. one four twenty seven, two two eighty nines. I've found a lot of amazing wing wing cars, Mopar wing cars, yep. Hemi powered. I've found these cars. My favorite car is a car called a Cunningham, nineteen fifty two Cunningham. You live in Tampa. It was built in West Palm Beach, Florida. Oh, they, wow. They made they made thirty six Cunninghams, mm-hmm. twenty five street cars. I have the second street car, three thirty one Chrysler Hemi, three speed Cadillac gearbox, nineteen fifty two. Aluminum body made in Italy. So it's a it's an American hot rod with an Italian body. It's like the perfect combination. Yeah. Uh, and I dreamed about owning a Cunningham since I was a kid. And I, oh my God, there's 25 in the world. Now I've got one. Do you get called on by people looking for it in a specific vehicle that maybe like one that they owned? And say, do you think you can help me find this? Do you get to go on those kind of hunts, or are you just out for yourself? Well, you know, it's hard to, when you open that barn door, it's hard to know what's inside there. Right. It could be a Pinto, and it could be a Pantera. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to go out and say, I'm not going to come home until I find a, uh, a Hemi Cuda. Uh, so it's hard to do that. You got to find them. So yeah, people call me, can you, or can you find the car I drove in high school? Right. You know, I don't get involved with that. It's yeah. a, it, serial numbers and Department of Transportation and all that stuff. So I don't, I don't do that. A lot of people call me and say, hey, I know of a bunch of cars. Yeah. But I'm very hesitant to take leads because I don't want to turn into like those American Pickers kind of guys. Right. There's no surprise there. All those things have worked out well ahead of time. It's not, it's not real. It's not as real as you hope it would be. <laughs> Reality TV isn't real at all. No. So I, so I drive around the Woody. The Woody, a 39 Ford Woody that I bought when I was in high school for 300 bucks. And if I pull up into a crabby guy's driveway with that Woody, suddenly I'm... I'm a cool guy, and yep. he, wa- he wants to talk to me about my car as much as I want to talk about the cars in his backyard. Yep. So uh, my suggestion is uh, drive an icebreaker. Don't drive a new black Chevy Makes Suburban. Yeah. Drive a car that is as interesting to them as yours, theirs are to you. Now, Tom, uh, we all see those stories on the Internet where somebody comes across not just a, a, a car, but like a, a barn full of them, like a, co- a whole collection. Have you been lucky enough to get on one of those where you open the barn doors and it's not one car, it's like 20 of them? There was a guy I met, and he's in rural North Carolina in a town called Pittsburgh, Billy Eubanks. And Billy started collect cars during the gas crunch, yep. 1973. Wing cars, Hemi-powered, you know, Cudas, uh, satellites, and, and then also uh, Jaguars and and Corvettes, he bought a Corvette brand new from a dealership that was 8.1 miles from his house. The car had 1.1 mile on it. It's sitting in his garage since 1982 with 9.2 miles on it. It's plastic on the seats, plastic on the door panels. He bought it, drove it home, and it's never been driven since. Wow. He's got Panteras and T-Birds and big block Corvettes. And he, he said, look, I didn't buy these cars. They were going to be worth money. I bought them because I loved them, and they were cheap. Nobody wanted them, so I bought them. And now he's sitting on... A hundred plus cars that he restored. Wow! New interiors, new paint, new rebuilt the engine, new tires, and now the barns have fallen in on these cars. Oh no! It's like, oh my god! So yeah, that's that's the find of my lifetime. Wow! Nothing for sale, which is unfortunate because he's got two daughters, don't care about cars. He's you know eighty five probably. Uh, what's going to happen with these cars? Someday they'll be in auction, I guess. Yeah, it's going to happen. If if I were him, I'd sell them all. But they're like his children. Why would I get? Why would I sell my children? Exactly. So th- if you ask me, that the barn find of my life 
those cars. And finally on this episode, we have the guys with the world-famous Big Red Camaro, plus the most famous man you've never heard of, Reese Millen. Now, you may have heard of Reese Millen, but a lot of you out there may have not, even though you've seen him in tons of movies, TV shows, and commercials and just didn't know it. Like, if you've seen Jumanji with Kevin Hart and The Rock, Reese was the one doubling The Rock during all the driving stunts. So, well, we may not have The Rock on our show yet. We got the next best thing, kind of. Speaking of stories, I know that this next guest up here is going to have a ton of them. This is Mark Ewing. Mark Ewing is the man with Mark, the big come red. come down. Big red You're the Camaro. next contestant on the Skidmark show. Hey, how are you doing? How you doing? So have you been with the big red for the whole time? When did you get, a, get it hooked up with something as cool as that? Uh, you know, it goes quite a ways back. The right. owner of the big red Camaro team, Dan, uh, hired my dad. To put his son in my dad's car at Willow Springs for his first laps around the road, road race. Well, uh, from that point on, I uh, ended up working with Raceway for them in the early 90s, uh, running IMSA, GTO, a bunch of super production stuff, and the Silver State Classic in 89. Wow. Uh, I got around for a while, left, left for 25 years, went to Texas, became a human being and an established, you know, honorable person. And about six years ago, they made an offer for me to come back out here and go full time on the car. And it, there you go. That's how it's been ever since. Ever since. Uh, dream job, absolutely. Awesome. Dream. Hard work pays off. Time after time, twenty, thirty people a week gonna walk up and say, "I read about that car in 1987." You know, and look what here, and they'll whip their phone out and they'll show me a picture of their car and go, "This car inspired." And you know, Hot Rod says it all. You know, that Big Red inspired the G Machine, the Pro Touring car. Sure did, and uh, to be a part of that is uh, just stupid, insane. It's the you, you know, know to me, it's the Bruce Lee of the you know pro touring car. It really is. I mean, if you think about it, because nobody else really had that thought process. I mean, cars were either drag cars or they were road race cars. They're they're not a car that could really transcend and do all these different events. That that's probably the most proudest thing we are about that car right now. Is it started out as a silver state car, and people say, well, why don't you drag race the car? Well, this car was built to tumble through the desert at 200 miles an hour and the driver to get out and dance on the wreckage. Okay, <laughs> safety. It's a heavy beast. Yeah. But uh, we pride ourselves on, you know, we uh, ran Pikes Peak, did 1108 up the mountain, uh, left there respected. Uh, El Mirage, we're in the two, Dirty Two Club at Elmo, got a record at Bonneville last year in our class, set two records at Loring just uh, two months ago, in a mile and a half. We do all kinds of wild stuff. People walk up and go, all right, how many of these cars do you guys have? This one. One. No way. No way. Uh, no, 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 no. You come to the shop, which is a, a, a mess, but there's our top speed shelf. There's a road race shelf. There's Bonneville stuff, you know, which they're all different setups with one car. Um, blown motors, naturally aspirated motors. We still have the original peanut motor from Silver State in 87. Well, we actually ran it at the Big Board Bash about three years ago when we blew up a big motor uh, with a transmission issue. Went back to the shop, put the 540 in it, went out and still killed him. Yeah. So, pretty cool. Yeah, it, was, it was interesting. Um, years and years ago, um, I was coming here, and, and, and I would always check you know, the celebrity list right, and see what was there and who was going to be here. And, and I got to tell you, it was like one of those big things when I saw Big Red was going to be in a booth and i was like you know what we're going to go by and say hi 
to Big Red because that was just too cool for me, you know? And it was like one of those surreal moments to actually see the car in person and go, wow, you know, this is, it's like one of those childhood moments. That's what I, I get out of SEMA is you come here and you really get to experience things that you could never do out, you know, like I can't go around wherever you guys are half the time. I'd love to, but I, I, you know, I've got other things I've got to do. So it's so cool to catch up with you guys. The car is legendary. Um, you know, I can't say enough about it. Any of you guys fans of The Rock? Dwayne Johnson? Oh, that rock. Yeah. Did you know that we're going to have Dwayne Johnson on stage here in a few minutes? We are. We are. You didn't know that, did you? I, I think you're fun in me. You think I'm fun in I you? I think you're fun in oh, me. Oh, man, do I have a story for you if you think I'm fun in you, baby. I've got <laughs> pictures. i got proof, and he's going to hit this stage. All yeah. right, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. There you go. Oh, uh, did I hear some? What was that? Like a small smoldering let rock. Let me tell you something. This guy right here makes the rock look good. If you, if the rock could do half of what this man could do with his big toe, it would be an accomplishment. This is Reese Millen, ladies and gentlemen. He just filled in for the rock in all the driving scenes for Jumanji. Yeah, that's correct. We had uh, an amazing uh, run out at Glamour Sand Dunes, uh, blasting the dunes and the the Polaris Razors. Uh, wearing a 35-pound latex muscle suit because clearly this is not enough. <laughs> and when you're sitting down in your torso tall, you can actually, uh, yeah, bald cap, a lot of makeup. You can be the rock. Yeah, and if you, if you guys don't believe me, you got to go to his Instagram because I, you'll even see my little um, shot in there. I go, that's the shortest rock I've ever seen. <laughs> but I'm telling you, he pulled it off. I mean, you know, from a distance, you even had the, you were out there flexing and doing the dance. I was like, wow, oh, I was right there with you. Yeah, it's pretty impressive what Hollywood could do, you know, smoke and mirrors to the max. But um, it's, it's been an incredible year. Uh, we had the, the release of Ad Astra, the Brad Pitt movie. Uh, the company built the Polaris Racer moon buggies and, and got to double Brad uh, and a couple of the other characters as well. And, and then obviously Jumanji and last week filming on Fast and the Furious 9, crashing a, a bunch of vehicles. So it's been an incredible, week, incredible year. And I've yeah. seen you in a bunch of uh, commercials, too, haven't you? You've been drifting a BMW around some corners. Yeah, commercials is um, kind of my forte, filming pretty much every week, doing stunt driving for various manufacturers. Uh, as, as easy as doubling someone just going to the grocery store or pulling out of a driveway to a lot of Lexus's performance-branded um, releases with the new RCF um, track edition and, and Kia and... Gosh, it's it's nameless. Uh, Acura with the NSX and their new campaign, and uh, it's it's a it's a great industry. Um, it it provides incredible opportunities to travel the world and and work with other extremely talented people. Well, it's always exciting to have you on stage because it's all I, I love following you socially, and I know there's a lot of things that you can't show during the moment, but I, I love following that journey, even if it's a little late with you because you know you have to wait till the movie comes out to release things and stuff like that but this man has doubled jason statham we got any jason statham fans in the house huh oh yeah this, this guy is definitely he's a, he, reese is a fan yeah so um it, it's pretty cool to sit up here with you and, and and know that you've done pretty much all the fast and furious since tokyo drift yeah we missed um just two of them uh and that was when they they went to europe uh, and then actually eight as well. Um, we had the incredible Joyride campaign with Pennzoil that was kind of touring the world, and, and I was locked in on that, which was 
I wasn't going to pass it up at all. Every day was sideways smoking tires in a, in a new country. We did Nürburgring, um, full drift of the course there. Uh, we were in uh, downtown Barcelona, Spain, in a Ferrari 488. We were in the streets of, uh, of Cape Town in, in, in the Hellcat and then in Pittsburgh in the Demon. So we kind of hit the whole lineup of, of Dodge models and, and BMW models up in the snow as well with the connection that, that Shell Penzoil has on a OEM supplier side. Yeah, and you did the impossible when Dodge told you there was no way that Viper ACR could fly, and you proved him <laughs> wrong. You said, really? He was like watch this. this. Hold, well, not hold your beer, but hold this <laughs> and watch this. So he, and you did a wonderful job with that. that. That series today is just awesome. You know, I always want to show that to people, even though that happened a few years ago. It's just, it, it really just even resonates today with this audience. So well done. Yeah, it's fun to look back through your catalog of videos that you have in your phone and have your own personal kind of flashback Friday, throwback Thursday, and, and even holding on to some of the movie stuff. You know, we, we shot Jumanji in, uh, in February or March. That sits in my phone for some seven or eight months, and now I can share all the fun things we're doing, and then I have that now for Fast and the Furious 9 for, for what we can share when that comes out. So it, it, it's great to kind of, you know, have this underground sort of entry and, and working with these amazing people and then obviously be able to share it with the audience that, that uh, you know, is, it's so impactful to them and, and all of these series that we're a part of. It's, it's amazing. Uh, let's talk about the, the finger because, uh, you know, I, I got, I, 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 my phone was blowing up and I was like, what happened to Reese? And then I, I saw the photos and I, I really cringed when I saw the first photo up there. But uh, I yeah, guess that's just it was the, an oh. un unexpected injury um unfortunately it was a, a a part failure i won't go into any more detail but um not what i expected in all the years that i'm very hands-on at the shop um it it pretty much broke my hand broke my pinky and and effectively lost the middle finger but the the group at uci medical center were able to to save it for what it is now uh, i haven't raced for the last three months although next week we're heading down to baja for the 1000 uh, the new little four-wheel drive jackal is on display here somewhere. Yes, it is. And it looks cool, by the <laughs> way. But for the last six weeks, I've been back in the saddle um, shooting commercials and, and, you know, honing in my skills again. I thought that was cool, too, how I was checking it out earlier when they brought it in uh, on the Monday. And uh, your rearview mirror is a camera. And I thought, how cool is that with the new technology, adding that even into the race car stuff? So... That's pretty trick, you know. Yeah, 149 on Amazon, you too can see behind you as well. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I'm very visual both forwards and backwards when I drive, when I race, when I drive on the freeway. And, and I like to see everything. And we tried to package the car from a cooling system to be very low so I could see out the back with like an 8 to 10 inch uh, visibility. And the, the reality was to get the car to function right and go fast, we, we had to seal that area up for intercoolers that it's a, a turbocharged engine in that vehicle and, and radiator for water cooling. So my engineer found this little camera and it is incredible how well it projects and how you can see even in the dust and all of that behind you. That's cool. It's just sometimes he's laughed, he's watched the in-car and I've seen big trophy truck come up behind us. And I start waving like he can see my hand <laughs> in the cab, but clearly you can't. Clearly not. <laughs> Thank you so much for all you do, man. I appreciate it. We're going we're gonna to shake really light on that. And uh, you guys go to the movies, check out what this guy does. Get the behind the scenes with the DVD and the Blu-ray. Oh, Him dancing like the rock is probably the coolest video out there, I tell you.
Here we are, Skidmark Show, guys, coming to you live from the SEMA 2019 at the Shell Pioneer Performance Live Stage. That's all for our SEMA 2019 highlight show number two, but we'll have two more SEMA highlight shows coming back to back to back with even more stars and cards on Skidmark Show. Make sure to leave us a five-star review where you get your podcasts and share the shows with your friends and family because it's free and everyone likes free stuff, right? Another show is coming up right away. Thanks for listening to Skidmark Show. We'll have another episode full of fast cars and rock stars ready for you soon. Until then, be sure to share this episode with your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all social media. And leave us a five-star review everywhere you get your podcast. Until next time, listen loud and drive fast when nobody's looking. Powered by Pizzoil. Pizzoil.